believe me, I have been through years like that in my life where it's the end of the year, you're in New Year's party and you turn around and you say, this year that just ended, good riddance. I don't want to hear about it ever again. <laughs> enough is enough. <laughs> and so this is the kind of year that this family lives through in 2016. So we're back with Maria Amparo. We're going to talk about her fantastic book, LA Weather. And I have it here. I bought this copy from Maria Amparo herself at the Miami Book Fair. We met because Esmeralda Santiago, previous podcast guest, also my mother, interviewed you as part of the Miami Book Fair event. And I think that interview is online. It's definitely findable at miamibookfair.com, but I'll put a link to it in the description because it is a much more comprehensive interview and talk about this book, which is really fantastic. I know my mom liked it. I liked it. LA Weather is a year in the life of the Alvarado family, and it is very cleverly structured as 12 chapters. Each one of them is a month in the year of 2016. And just because that's the year I started writing it. To people who aren't from LA, it's going to sound like an oxymoron because people think we don't have weather. But if you don't mind, I am going to read something for our podcast audience because I am constantly evangelizing for Southern California. So I'm going to read a paragraph from Southern California, an island on the land. This is called The Seasons. Most people believe that there are only two seasons in Southern California, the wet and the dry. But this crude description fails to take into account the imperceptible changes that occur within the two major seasons. Actually, Southern California has two springs, two summers, and a season of rain. The first spring, the premature spring, follows closely upon the early rains of the late fall. In November, the days shorten, the nights become cooler, the atmosphere clears, the air is stilled, and the land is silent. By November, people have begun to listen for rain. The land is dry and parched, and the leaves of trees are thick with dust. The dry season has now begun to fray the nerves, irritate the nostrils, and bear down on the people. When the wind blows, it is full of particles, dust, dry leaves, sand, and heat. And then come the first rains, drifting in long, graceful veils, washing the land, clearing the atmosphere, the gentlest baptism imaginable. So we got five seasons here. I love it. It's very nice. And it does have a lot to do with my book because my book also talks about the LA weather and why is there real weather? Is the weather in the book real? It is. Every weather entry, whether it's the temperature, whether it rains, drought, fire, full moon, <laughs> it happened on the day that is told in the story. And I actually recall 2016 being a somewhat turbulent weather year here. Yeah, not just the weather, everything, but yes. <laughs> that was a rough year. <laughs> it was a very weather-related year. It's there. There were mega fires. It was pretty wild. Can you tell us a little bit about the epigraph to your book? The epigraph, usually it's a quote from another author. It comes right at the beginning and it sort of, evokes something about the story. It's a quote by Jack Gilbert, a book of poetry called Refusing Heaven. And it says, I believe Icarus was not failing as he fell, but just coming to the end of his triumph. The reason I chose this was because I'm going to talk about the end of love in the book not just the weather, but there's a family living their lives. There is 
the threat of the end of love and the end of love in the different characters, but they've had a life. When a marriage fails after many years and they've had children and they built a house and a home and they've succeeded in many ways, they cannot say that their marriage was a failure. They just reached the end of their triumph. And that happened to me. I had a marriage for a long time and it, it came to an end. But that doesn't mean I failed. It means I came to the end of that triumph and there are many good things about it, including my children. So it's kind of like that, what this story is about. It's an interesting way of looking at divorce and looking at relationships. I've only had one marriage. I'm still happily, blissfully in the middle of it. I'm at the beginning of my triumph and I uh, intend to continue triumphing for as long as as long as one of us is alive, as long as both of us are alive. But I hear what you're saying that like, in my marriage, we've already accomplished so much. We have two beautiful kids, we have a beautiful place to live. If the marriage ended, that would still exist. And those would still be beautiful things that still exist. So I'd never thought of it that way. But you come to the end of relationships all the time in life it doesn't always have to be love, it could be business, it could be friendship, but there's something beautiful about every relationship. And that doesn't go away just because the relationship is over. One of the other things about this book that I loved, Oscar is the descendant of some wealthy Spanish Mexican folks who had land deeded to them in California before it was America. And they managed to make good use of that land and they passed down a fortune to him. His wife said, why don't we just live off the interest? We don't need this money. We don't need to invest it. But he wanted to become like his ancestors and increase his family fortune. And he had all these harebrained ideas of how he was going to do it. One of them was to buy distressed property on Abbott Kinney Boulevard in the 1980s in Venice Beach and turn it into retail. And his wife said, that's insane. Who would want to shop there? The other one was to buy property in the Venice canals and build luxury homes there. And his wife says, who would want to live in those smelly, disgusting canals? And then yet another one was to buy warehouse space in Culver City and turn it into a workspace and try to rent it to studios and so on. And his wife poo-pooed that one too. And then his almost final idea was to buy these beautiful old houses in Silver Lake that nobody really wanted to live in and see if he could turn them around. Now for people who live in LA, they're already cracking up. People who don't live in LA, this is four in a row billion dollar ideas that he had. This is like investing in Apple in the 80s, investing in Amazon in the 90s. These are four in a row billion dollar ideas that he got shot down. I found it hilarious, but also really telling of this character because he's really brilliant and he really is a descendant of that family. And had he not been under the influence of his wife, maybe he might have turned himself into quite a mogul. Exactly. And then what ends up happening is he buys this almond orchard, water guzzling almond orchard in the worst route and he's on the brink of financial disaster and that is something that is killing him but he can't tell his wife because he bought it in secret <laughs> so <laughs> he's in trouble yeah so he finally decides all right i've had these four ideas he's watched abbott kinney and the venice canals and culver city and silver like boom and he says you know what i'm not going to tell her about this one i'm going to go do this one myself and of course, this is the one that doesn't pan out. Exactly. And that's what happens. You know what writers do? We always get our characters in trouble. <laughs> yeah. This is one of the other things that I loved so much about the book. And this is really as much craft as art, I think, is that the beginning of this book, the first five pages of this book are just riveting 
page turners. You start the book with the highest stakes possible. Even having heard you speak about it, I didn't know that that's how it started. And so I picked it up and I was like, is this the same book? It's such a brilliant way to get someone into a story. Because once you're through that narrative, then you're in, you meet all the characters, you know who everybody is. It starts with these two children drown in a pool. Almost, but you're not sure for many pages because of the brilliant way that you have set up this tension, whether they're going to make it or not. Yeah, it's really great. Yeah, I needed a trigger. I needed some terrible thing happening in the family that activates everybody. That is a trigger that sends Kayla, the matriarch, into wanting to divorce her husband. She's guilty, but so is he. (laughs) So that triggers everything. And that's how it all gets started but I did need a big trigger to get it going. It's a very cinematic way to start a book. It's a family drama, but we live in a time where people expect heightened emotions all the time. You've walked that line really well of keeping the subtlety of the family drama, but also having these really high stakes moments that are totally believable. I've been told that you can't possibly fit all that stuff in a year. And believe me, I have been through years like that in my life where it's the end of the year, you're a New Year's party, and you turn around and you say, this year that just ended, good riddance, I don't want to hear about it ever again. (laughs) Enough is enough. (laughs) And so this is the kind of year that this family lives through in 2016. On top of all the weather events, and the weather is a little bit of a metaphor for what happens to this family. People who don't live in LA sometimes think that Angelinos, we have this celebrity life, that everything is flashy and glitzy and easy, but it's not. It's not always 72 and sunny in our lives either. We have the same heartaches and problems. I sort of wanted to debunk those tropes, not just the weather, but also Family life can be challenging and very difficult. One of the things that your book reminded me of, and I think it was the scene where one of the characters is getting chicken in Echo Park, and there's just this weird statue on top of someone's house. And you talk about how there's all this weirdness in LA, if you know where to find it, which is something that I never noticed until my father came to visit. I'd been living here for three years, and we're walking, we had done a hike in Runyon Canyon, and we're walking back. And... I'm just depressed and I kind of hate it. I'm just working 24 seven and I just, you know, I'm having the typical LA experience, right? You know, it's sunny all the time, but I kind of just don't dig it. And he says, you know, the city is so beautiful. There's all this random, weird beauty everywhere. And it's unlike anywhere else. And as he's saying this, I'm gearing up to tell him that this is bullshit. And I don't know what he's talking about. And then I noticed that on the street right in front of us are two four foot tall concrete dice like casino dice, but they're four feet tall and they're concrete and they're just sitting there on the street. (laughs) Someone just put them there for no reason. (laughs) I love that. I love that about LA. And that chicken that you're talking about is actually a very famous chicken. He's called Chicken Boy. And he is towering over the rooftop of a restaurant in Highland Park, right on Figueroa Street. So if anybody wants to go check out Chicken Boy, he's there. (laughs) He's been there for a long time. It's one of those weird, bizarre things that L.A. has. It's just wonderful. There's just so many different L.A. characters that I recognized that are, I think, common to pretty much any city, but they have a very distinct L.A. flavor. 
in this book, which is really fantastic. So LA Weather, I think if you want to read a book and you like Los Angeles, this is a great book to read. Or if you want to read a book and you hate Los Angeles, you'll find a lot of stuff to hate in the book too, because it's a very LA book. So if you want to just hate on Los Angeles, you can totally do that. But if you want to love Los Angeles, it's kind of a love letter to LA, I think as well. I really liked it. So Maria Amparo, thank you so much for joining us. It was really great to have you. I'm going to end by asking you the question that we ask everybody, which is to recommend two books for our audience. I'm going to keep going bizarre on you. (laughs) I'm going to recommend a very eerie and creepy novella by Carlos Fuentes. It's titled Aura, A-U-R-A. It's only 90 pages long. The entire thing is written in second person. It's fantastic. Fantastic. I thoroughly recommend that. Okay, I'm not going to recommend my second novel, but read it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And the other book that I would love to recommend, obviously, it's a classic, but I love these kind of classic books that is also magic realism. And it's like Water for Chocolate. I love that book. I recommend it. It's by Laura Esquivel. Love it. Thank you so much for joining us. We will have you back as soon as you have another book. (laughs) Thank you, Lucas. (laughs) Next week's guest is Dr. Paulette Steves. She is the author of The Indigenous Paleolithic of the Western Hemisphere, which I assure you is a controversial title. We will get into that. That's the book that we did in the episode with Teokas and Ghost Horse. We're going to be discussing Poet Warrior by Joey Harjo, a delightful memoir, a beautiful book, a fun read, and an amazing story. So check that one out. The best way to find out about Book Society is to go to the Book Society website, booksocietypod.com. Get on the mailing list. I'm going to send out a newsletter. Not just the weather, but also family life can be challenging and very difficult. Angelinos are people too. I agree. (laughs) 